everybody. Welcome to the Ringing Ear Podcast brought to you by KillBoringMusic.com, your ally in the crusade against boring music. I am Joby, writer, photographer, a guitarist, native Californian, currently freezing his, took us off in the Midwestern Mecca of Wichita, Kansas. Find me on social media, Books of Job and booksofjob.com. With me, as always, my co-conspirator, my co-host, my co uh, co record store clerk, formerly uh, current <laughs> Californian, and writer and contributor to outlets such as the Daily Beast and Billboard, senior music critic for KillBoringMusic.com, Jeffrey Nail. Our aim this week, as it is every week, is to share with you our love for music, chronicle our obsession with music as it continues into the depths of depraved middle age and above all else help you the listener avoid boring music because jeff what do we do with boring music we kill that shit joby kill it dead that's right think of jeff and i as your 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 guardians (laughs) uh protecting you from the music that might damage your soul uh we will we will show you the way towards the light at the end of the tunnel so that you might find the music that will make you grateful. Uh, fuck it, let's go with that. Uh, yes. Jeffrey, debt of gratitude, nail. How are we doing this week? <laughs> Good. I'm just so excited to, uh, to hear how uh, cold it is in uh, in Wichita. Oh God, you would not believe it. Um, last week I said how nice it was, and it was you know like 60 degrees, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. The low, uh, the low yet last night was uh, 10 degrees uh, with wind chill. It was one below. Whoa! Oh man! And is that all just because you guys don't have mountains? Is it is that partially? Kind of what it comes yeah, down I to? mean, yeah, because I mean that's not that's not typical. That's you know that's cold you know for this time of year, but it's not uncommon for that to happen at least once. You know, like that's how it is here. Like it'll it'll transition, and then it'll just slap you in the face, and then go back to normal, and then just slap you in the face, and then it'll be like full on winter. It's just, yeah, you never know what to expect. We got our first uh, measurable snowfall uh, a couple days ago, so. Well, congratulations. Uh, It's it's currently 67 degrees here uh, Mm. at at 5.30 p.m., and... And, and I was looking at the low just now, and it says 52, and I'm like, oh, that's pretty chilly. The high tomorrow is going to be 81. Oh, wow. 80 motherfucking one degrees mm-hmm. on November. That's that's just uh, – all right. So I'm mad now, so let's talk about something less than <laughs> – Well, this is episode 31. We're going to be talking about gratitude and the, the music we are thankful for in one way or another, um, which yeah. could be – something broad or something very narrow. Uh, I'm kind of curious to see what, what you've got in store for us there. And uh, we're going to be talking about, well, you're going to be talking about, you won't get what you want from daughters. We're going mm-hmm. to have some music from St. Louis's loop rat. Uh, Jeff Baker from New York city is in the unsigned artist spotlight. And I believe there are a couple of odds and ends to get to. So what, what, if, what's going on with this? Um, I just wanted you to know that based on our conversation uh, about cassettes a couple weeks ago, I, I don't know how I came across it. I, I follow a lot of labels and promoters and stuff, and I don't think I think this is a DIY operation though. Um, but I ordered an album, an EP on cassette uh, <laughs> because have, I wanted. Have you, 
do you have the means to listen to it? I do. I do okay. have a I have a like I I was saying in that in that uh episode that we recorded, I have a, a dual cassette, you know, I sort of inherited a whole stereo from my dad. Uh, I mean, he's still alive, but he didn't want it. So I right, took it right. because it has a turntable involved and it just sort of came with it. And, you know, we were sort of going on and on about how um, it, it doesn't make sense. I mean, it's it's a format. And I guess it still doesn't make sense. I haven't listened to it. For all I know, I could put it in that machine and start listening to it. And like, this is the only way to listen to this band. It, by the way, it's a band called Ruins out of uh, Chicago. And um, by the way, the inside, the, the inside of the cassette, uh, they actually like sort of like a, a run of, of poster printings. They It says 44 out of 100 on the inner inner sleeve. So hmm. I guess it is a limited run that that they're doing. Um, but the thing I was so glad to find out was that somehow I missed in the detail details when I when I ordered this is that they give you a download code <laughs> on the inside. Oh, OK. I'm like, well, at least that's halfway to practical then, you know. Yeah. I mean, I guess it, it it doesn't really matter if it's on CD or cassette, really. Uh, I mean, CDs, CD players are definitely more prevalent than cassette players, so it doesn't exactly make sense. But as long as the cassette is not the only way, I am sort of at peace. And I will be listening to this at some point and probably getting around to it in next week's episode. Okay. All right. Because nice. next week we're doing uh, house cleaning, right? Yeah, we're going to kind of clear out what's been kind of lingering in our closet, things we've been wanting to play, maybe that we haven't gotten to. Um, We're basically just currents, I guess, right? We're going to be showcasing things we've been wanting to talk about, just haven't gotten around to. So that'll be a fun episode, actually. You know, a lot of what we talk about is is lately has been new music, but it's still pretty limited because... You know, if you don't win the wager, mm-hmm. you're not, you're not going to get a chance. So yeah, yeah, I've got kind of a like a current occurrence bank. Like I just have all these songs in there. So yeah, I've, there's yeah. a few like because as time goes on, you know, depending on what the focus of the show is, I'll want to feature one kind of music or another. You know, like this week I wanted mm-hmm. to kind of counter, you know, daughters with something different. So yeah, it just depends on the episode what we get around to playing. So yeah, there's a lot of different stuff uh, I'm looking forward to to playing next week. Well, I understand there. There's a little uh, a little pushback on my my take on war on women. So I'm curious to see what this is all about. Well, I will leave this person anonymous, but I did get uh, let's call it a message um, that they wanted some clarification, uh, perhaps even a redo on your review to uh, the war on women album, because we, you know, and I, I guess I'm sort of complicit in this because I I, ha- I had the same conversation with you that you had with me. Which is, you know, we, we kind of put it through the, we talked about it through the lens of female bands, female artists. And, mm-hmm. and essentially, um, it, I, I'm, I was afraid that we sounded dismissive uh, because, you know, I, th- I think your comment was, um, oh, what did you say? You've heard so many female singers this year mm-hmm. that they're all bleeding together. And, and the trouble with that is, is that, you know, men make very similar sounding albums as well. And it sort of sounded mm-hmm. like you were you were saying that only the females are uh, hard to, you know, they only sound a certain way. So, well, <laughs> OK, um, what, do you, what do you think? I, I don't know. Nah, sure. Uh, well, see, I guess maybe maybe I should have been more specific. Maybe it's not that they all bleed together. Uh, it's that war and women just didn't stand out. That's probably more accurate. 
that's kind of what I thought you were saying. And I also kind of assumed, and maybe I should have said this out loud, it, it wasn't so much that, because I, I sort of agreed with you in the moment, but I don't think it was so much just the female thing that bleeds together. It was honestly uh, punk rock. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and in terms, I mean, I think it's gonna, kind of an accident, but, but a lot of punk rock albums, particularly ones with female singers, did tend to sound similar this year anyway mm-hmm. uh well that and you know i take it back though because that's not true because camp cope who we've actually argued isn't even a punk band even though they've been marketed and written about as one sounds nothing like war on women so maybe the best thing to do here is um you gave it a b mm-hmm. and actually I, th- I thought that was a, a better review than i thought you were leading to um can you say something about what it lacked uh, a little further because uh, you said it was a little it was a little soft right yeah just it had kind of a, a, a sheen like it seemed like all the edges had been sort of ground off of it um, I, I felt like it needed to be a little more raw a little more a little rougher um, yeah because you know Camp Cope even like I said we, you know we it's debatable whether or not they truly are a punk band but I felt like even they had more edge is uh, compared to war on women, you know, um, I forgot the, yeah. the singer's name. What's her name? Mac. Oh yeah. Georgia Mac, Georgia Mac. Her voice conveys, I think more anger than war on women. And I know war on women are just as angry, if not way angrier, but it just, it seemed to not come across. That's the funny thing I was thinking of too, where their, their, their band name, their their album their song titles um they just released a new single an acoustic version of i think it's called the the molester in chief or something along those lines like it all seems very political and angry but then i see them on on two minutes to late night and, and they seem i mean granted there's nothing wrong with political band having fun uh but i yeah i, I kind of feel like they want to do more than just politics mm-hmm. uh than the culture war uh but maybe that's just what's most important right now yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, they don't they don't seem like a particularly angry band to me. Right. Right. Maybe it's well, just an ill fit. Could be. I mean, if you know, if we if we'd uh, had to just happen to listen to say like, I don't know, five albums this year from, you know, like black metal bands, by that fifth one, I think we'd probably be like, "Man, I don't know, this is kind of this isn't really, you know, really needs to differentiate itself from the other ones we've heard." I think any kind of music would face the same thing. Uh, if you've well, listened to that so, many. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, well, War on Women just needs to, I don't know, it just needs something. It's just lacking a, a, a it's not spicy enough. I, I just, yeah, I just, and I just wanted to make sure we were giving it the, the, the same, <laughs> the same thrashing that we would give anyone else. <laughs> well, <So>. yeah. <laughs> I think we're nothing if not thrashers against uh, what we don't, uh, what we don't like. Oh, come on. You're way too nice. <laughs> yeah, but I won't hesitate to say I don't like something, though, or at least say, be indifferent to it. Uh, you know, you've been very hard on women artists this year between this and uh, What's Her Face from Seattle. What was her name? That song What's Her Face? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> what was her face? Baby Oksana. Baby Oksana. <laughs> yeah. Man, Joby. <laughs> I was actually thinking we could do an episode where we only do unsigned artists. And uh, and I was like, well, I know I know what won't be on my list. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's get back on track here, shall we? Sure. Sure. Let's. Uh, what do you uh, want to do? You want to talk about daughters? Yeah, because I have to get to a concert tonight. So we have to wrap it up. Uh, That's right. I'm, I'm, I'm finally going to, well, I'm not fine. I was going to say, I'm finally going to settle this Ice Age debate, but I'm probably just going to inflame it. 
Uh, I'm going to go see them tonight at the House of Blues here in San Diego. So we will uh, we will see. We'll talk about that next week. Do you have expectations for the show? Do you think you're going to like it? I kind of expect to like it, yeah. Because, you know, it, when an album leaves me flat and, and, I, and I see them and I see the band or the other direction, I see the band and I like them and then I go listen to their album and they're not great. Uh, it, I just I just expect those things to be inverted, you know, where it's they're better. They're, they have to be better live if I don't like their album. And I, I can't even think of a, a time where that hasn't been true for me. So any band that you don't like their album, you, you like them better live usually there I, I i at least would prefer to see them live which i know i know isn't much of a leap you know because like like we've said before uh all all music that is live is is you know broadly speaking is automatically better so so i guess in terms of my, yeah my expectations it's i expect yeah. it to be at least a good show and and you know these guys are from uh copenhagen so they're they're really traveling like this is a this is a big tour for them so you know, you know, I saw, gosh, I'm not sure if they're from, that's Denmark, right? Yeah, I think I'm so. I'm pretty sure I saw a band from Denmark earlier uh, called New Politics, like earlier mm. this year. And uh, they they were uh, kind of like what you were saying. I, I went back. I had never really heard them after, until after the show. I looked them up afterwards, and uh, I wasn't really too impressed with their music. But when I saw them in the moment, I was like, wow, these guys are killing it, man. They, they really I, slayed the room. Yeah. I just had that same experience when I saw horror a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, their albums are not are not great, as far as I can oh. tell. So, all right. Well, talk to us about Daughters. How, what'd you think? think it's any <laughs> it's any surprise well let me set it up i lost the wager last week in case you're just joining us uh and and joby was gracious enough to assign me an album uh that he knew i think i i can't imagine why you would ever think i wasn't eager to listen to this so it was very nice of you to assign this and uh this this is a band that we talked about i want to say way back in the sex episode or somewhere around there yeah this is a rhode island noise rock band um they they've even though they've only released prior to this one i think it's three albums they've been known for really switching up the fabric of their sound with every album cycle uh i went back and i listened to some of their older stuff last night and it really does sound different um i think when we first talked about them i regarded their early stuff as grindcore but that is i think i did not stick the landing on that at all cuz it's it's not that it's 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 still always kind of been noise rock mm-hmm. I'm just saying that they're that they've only gotten better, I guess, is is the takeaway from this. So they got together in 2001 in Providence. Um, they 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 broke up at, uh, after their last album eight years ago. And, you know, this is not a band that anyone thought would ever get back together again. It's not like they were successful. I mean, you know, maybe some critical attention went their way. But, you know, noise rock, it's sort of built into the genre. Like, you're going to be playing to smaller rooms, and your fan base is not going to be as broad. And, and, you know, these guys aren't doing it for attention, I don't think. This is, you know, as, as disturbing and subversive as their sound is. 
uh, the, you know, that's that's what they're dedicated to. And this album, this new one, uh, which is called You Won't Get What You Want, is uh, is no different. In fact, it's kind of a huge leap forward. It's so weird because, you know, like it's like you take any other art form like movies, you know, you kind of don't want them to make the sequel. Right. I think that's one of the worst things that can happen is for a band to get back together after a long hiatus or if they've broken up. I, I wish they would just stay apart forever. <laughs> oh, I honestly yeah. do. Or start a new band or. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I, I don't know the narrative on how this band came back together. But I will say this. Uh, this album is a sprawling abstract noisy menace and i mean that in the nicest way possible it is so much fun to listen to it's maniacal it's cynical it's nihilistic um it's cathartic though which is which is uh honestly at at this at this age at this point i've been listening to music my whole life i kind of can't ask more than than catharsis uh, catharsis from my my music to be honest if uh, if they give me catharsis where my soul feels unburdened after I've listened to them, that's kind of as, as good as it gets. Mm-hmm. D- do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't I don't want to dance. I want my soul to puke up all the bad shit that it's been collecting. <laughs> and, right. And an, yeah. al- <laughs> and an album like this will help me do that. This is like Rape Man meets, meets The Body meets Pissed Jeans with David Yao as their singer. At least this record. Um, this is the opposite of a headphone masterpiece. You know, this is as much as I would might listen to this with headphones, uh, just so I can pick up all those, you know, <laughs> bended notes and, and off key, uh, phrases. Um, I think after a while you go crazy if this were, if this were just, you know, pumping into your ears for more than a few minutes. If right. you're, if I, if I'm your average bro, <laughs> you <know>? yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, this is an this is not an album to make sweet love to. This is an album to smear blood and feces by. Well, so hey, potato potato man. such momentum it's so much fun this that song have you did you get a chance to listen to this after assigning it to me i did not listen to it and i cannot wait to listen to it that sounds <laughs> phenomenal that sounds yeah. like something you have to listen to loud you can't just have that on low in the background it's gonna it demands your attention yeah okay daughters what have you got for us uh for your uh current <laughs> well why, why can't i come up with a name we've been calling it for 31 episodes <laughs> well like you know like i said earlier i like to try and balance out whatever's going on in the episode so i wanted to find something kind of like completely on the flip side of daughters and mm-hmm. what i came up with is a i started to call them a band i don't think they call themselves a band i think they refer to themselves as a collective uh, it's a large group of individuals from st louis missouri of all places which have you ever been to st louis no, never have. You're not missing much, I'll tell you that. Is um, that right? Oh, well, they'd probably be offended to hear me say that. They're probably very proud of their city. <laughs> Otherwise, they wouldn't tout that they're from St. Louis everywhere you look. They are a, kind of a, a jazz, hip-hop, 
uh, collaboration of uh, artists. It's four uh, MCs and six instrumentalists. Um, they they run the gamut. They have uh, guitar bass. It's a big and, crew. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of guys, and I don't know for sure that all. I, maybe that's why they call themselves a collective. I don't know if everyone makes it to every show. I, I have no idea because that, yeah, that's a lot of people. Uh, they have drums, bass, guitar, keyboards, sax, trumpet, uh, alto sax for anyone who's curious. Um, they call themselves a loop rat. And um, I, I don't even remember quite how I stumbled upon them, but uh, I was really kind of uh, taken. Do we ever, do we ever yeah. remember how we st- I almost never do. We're like just old men wandering in the woods. You know, you don't know how you got to <laughs> yes. got to where you're at. You just like look around and like, well, this is where I am now. So, yeah, yeah I just I was like, OK, I guess I'm listening to Loop Rat now. Um, and I really like it. Um, I just thought it was really it wasn't what I expected at all. Um, when I when I hit play, uh, I was really impressed by basically all of it um the instrumentation is is great i like the lyrics a lot all the rappers pretty much hold their own uh, the song i'm gonna play is a brand new song it just came out within the last few days no time they riding our coattails no need for a cosign two sides to every story i bet you they both line folks want to make an issue got no problem with bovine it's forever one love to all the rap pack squadron pushing proper hip-hop beyond the margin people looking for the best but want to bargain You know, when I a lot of times when I hear certain phrases, I, I kind of have a reservation and jazz hip hop kind of gives me pause uh, because I just think of I don't know, I, I get something in my head and I think, oh, this could be bad. Um, oh, I, I'm the opposite because I immediately go, well, guru and tribe and, you know, well, see, I, that's, I, th- I think that's it. You think of tribe and I don't. I think of like us three. Do you remember <laughs> us three? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. I actually didn't mind that when it was out because it was something no. we could play in the store and it was a nice kind of a groove. But still, at the same time, it's not really like what I want to sit and listen to. You know what it makes me think of? Um, Mad Lib, or at least the, that first record of his. You ever hear that? No. I can't even remember if that's Mad any Lib. good. It's just I just remember liking it back in like 2002. Uh, hmm. Yeah, live drum. And, and anytime you get me like with um, competent MCs with a live drummer, mm-hmm. uh, I'm already kind of ready to go. <laughs> you right. Didn't even need yeah. to really play play it for me. I just sort of like that anyway. All right, then where are we? Well, that brings us to the uh, the elephant in the room where we discuss our always deeply thought-provoking topic, which this week is kind of a, a, a new take on it. We're, uh, 
we're tackling the subject of gratitude, things that we're thankful for in music, people, things, songs, sounds, I don't know. We kind of left it wide open uh, as far as what we're grateful for. Uh, so how did you go about kind of tackling this or narrowing it down? It, it actually is kind of insurmountable because, there's, you know, we love music already. So, you know, I feel like every week we talk about how much we love music. It's kind of and now we're doing an episode where we have to be even more <laughs> grateful for music. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I tried to get small, but then I just kind of went song by song. Like, what's a, what's an old song I've been listening to lately? What's um you know, what's a what, what's an unknown thing that I really like and, and that kind of thing. Uh, and I came up with three songs, one of which is, well, I guess I should wait a little bit. But like, well, I guess I'll just say one of them is aged exceptionally well. One of mm-hmm. them is a love letter to reissues. And the other one is um, sort of a, an appreciation of an, of an artist that continues doing continues creating music but in a different way. So that's kind of where I'm at. How did you go about it? Well, I, I really, I didn't know how to even try and tackle this at first because it was so broad and I had an idea, like I kind of knew what my number one was going to be right off the bat. uh, But Mm -hmm. from there I didn't know where to go. And what I ended up doing was kind of uh, tackling it instrument by instrument, uh, bass, guitar, and drums. And I sort of, well, maybe with the exception of my number, well, yeah, even number one, kind of went with people who were either underappreciated or did like, kind of did it performed a service for the greater good, uh, if that makes sense, which it probably doesn't, but I'll explain as we get to uh, each of them. Uh, so okay. not necessarily unknowns or anything like that, but maybe just not the what people would think of when they think of uh, these instruments or, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. That's interesting. I mean, okay. I, otherwise That's... I would have just had, you know, snippets of songs everywhere. Like, Oh, I love this. I love that. I love that. You know, it just would have been too, <laughs> yeah. too random. I, yeah, I had to and focus. I, and the focus is the tough part, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Cause my, um, I didn't really have a lot of also rands or anything, but before I narrowed it down, I think I, I stopped myself because I think I had already talked about it on the show. I was going to talk about the song "Sugar" by System of a Down, the uh, like the breakdown, kind of like this the part toward the second half of the song as it uh-huh. you know slows down because that part was again talking about catharsis. That part was so cathartic and helped me just unload all the shit that was in my black nasty soul before I went to my shit job that I hated. Like that song oh, really yeah, yeah, got yeah. me through like a terrible little period. So. Um, but yeah, I decided to go with instruments instead just to try and break it up. And we only had three, so I could only do bass, guitar, and drums because those are clearly the most important instruments. Now I'm just <laughs> trolling. I don't know why I'm doing that. But Yeah, why, why are you upsetting people? <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, yeah, and it, I'm glad you did that because I, I feel like as of late, we've actually dumped a lot of uh, autobiographical baggage on our listeners lately. So this is uh, maybe this is a little more objective for, for both of our, our tax here. Uh, so, well, who's starting? Um, well, I guess you should probably start. I just kind of talked okay. for a bit. Uh, I let's see. This is this is a song from the. OK, now, of course, I'm going to forget it. This is a song from the early 80s, 1982 specifically. Uh, I am grateful for this song, especially. And I guess I'm grateful for the band as well. They, they weren't around forever. One of the one of the 
main band members uh, had some serious hearing loss, um, you know, pretty early on into their very short arc, and that's why they they didn't stick around. I think they've reconvened recently for a few reunion gigs, uh, but it's a band that that doesn't get uh, its due in the mainstream ever, and it's a punk rock band. And it's it's another one of those bands that was featured in this. I get to mention this book for the second time in two weeks. It's a it, it had a chapter devoted to it in uh, Michael Azarod's book. Our band could be your life. You cannot miss with that book if you're if you know anyone who's a fan of of underground music or punk rock or anything. Uh, th- that book will be a winner in their stocking this year. Uh, the band is called Mission of Burma. Do you know them? No, I don't think I've even ever heard the name. Yeah, Mission of Burma wrote a, a couple of songs you might know, chief of which uh, is a song called That's When I Reach for My Revolver. Uh, of all people, Moby covered that in the late 90s on that uh, on that Animal Rights album he put out. That Sort of not universally maligned, but I think people don't really like that record. Uh, but Mission of Burma was uh, way ahead of its time because they would employ sound effects and loops and things, even in their live performances, and uh, it, for a long time, they were the only only outfit in town doing any well in any town doing anything like that. Uh, but the the thing I I am so grateful for is is when a song is evergreen, uh, which this song is. Uh, the song is called "That's How I Escaped My Certain Fate." And when I listen to this song, I can't help myself. Usually, I end up thinking, "Is this my favorite song? This might be my favorite song, like out of all the songs." Burma is sort of the distillation of the new romantic cool of the late 70s, early 80s with the F.U. punk rock fury of, of everything that would come after it. Um, they were not afraid to experiment. Uh, and, and unlike a lot of uh, punk rock outfits back then and now, they would balance strength with intelligence and ambition. Uh, and, and it's it's just... That and that 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 strength balanced with intelligence translates still. It, it doesn't even matter what their lyrics about. They just sound confident and ambitious and and it's like Gang of Four meets Black Flag plus good Joe Jackson. Uh, there's such momentum in this song. Uh, it's 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 one of those where I get all amped up to talk about because I love it so much and then. <laughs> I have to temper my expectations because Joby's probably going to hate it.
absolutely love. I love that we both have the exact same expectations from each other. Like, oh, God, he's going to fucking hate this. I know he's just going to hate this. O- only only if I really love it do I worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that's that's the first time I've, I've heard it. I didn't uh, listen in advance or anything, but, I mean, that sounds that sounds really cool. I, I don't, you know, I, I have to listen a little closer to quite see exactly what makes it so special like why you like it so much but i definitely see why you like it it's it's very cool yeah i like that a lot this song is is like 37 years old yeah and it still sounds so fresh uh even though the production you know <laughs> it's certainly gotten better you can tell i always hear it in the in the drum tones for some reason you can always tell when you know when something was recorded before 19 I don't know, like 1989 or something like that, because the snare drum is so so bottom heavy. But but yeah, other than that, this this is a perfect song. It's got this uh, this momentum that just cannot be rivaled. It's it's and, and, you know, if you if you play music the way we do, I think if you listen to this again, you'll hear that the that they're slashing at the strings of their guitars. You know, it's mm-hmm. that momentum. It's almost like it it. it they're slashing at their strings, but they're hitting every mark. Like there's not mm-hmm. even a, a moment's hesitation or, you know, a lot of times with punk rock, it could be real messy and this is messy, but not in a, not in a fundamental way. All right. And how, how so, long of a song is that? Oh, see, this is, I've, I've, I thought I had you and then I looked at it and I went, well, it's two minutes, five seconds. That's probably about six seconds too long. Uh, they, they could probably trim a little fat, but it'll work. It'll, it'll be <laughs> yeah, all right. That's, it's funny. That's, that's what I was just going to say. I'm like, there's, there's not a single ounce of fat on this. Song. Right. <laughs> so, nice. Okay. Anyway, I'm, I'm so, so very grateful for how this is aged and, uh, and it and and I, I'm also grateful for its deliberate abandon. I don't think uh, that's two words I wrote down, and I don't think I get enough of that in my life. Deliberate abandon. It, it seems oxymoronic, but I don't think it is here. Hmm, okay, nice. Well, good one. I like that. Well, uh, my uh, first one, I'm going to focus on uh, a drummer that I feel is probably. Uh, this is going to probably, I don't know. I See, I don't know exactly what our tastes are, uh, what people who listen to us actually like. I know the the ones that are vocal, I know what they like, but I don't know what <laughs> yeah. you know the rest of yeah. them like. So this, this might piss people off, I don't know. But I think that this drummer is the best thing about his old band uh, and probably one of the better things about his current band, but his current band is better than his old band. Um, I was thinking of a song that I liked before I had narrowed it down per instrument. I was just thinking of a song I really liked that I hadn't gotten around to playing uh, or hadn't had a reason to play really. And I thought, well, maybe I'll hold on to that for, you know, when we're kind of doing our house cleaning before we decided to make it all currents. But then I realized that the reason I liked the song so much was because of the drums. And I started looking into the drummer and realized that it actually kind of was a, a, a circle back to an old episode for us because I'm talking about uh, Matt Tong, who was the drummer for Block Party. Um, which I do you do you are you familiar with Block Party? That is not a name I've heard in a long time, but I know yeah. who they are. Yeah. Well, I um I did a little reading up on them because I yeah same here I hadn't really heard the name in quite some time and they are technically still around but I guess they kind of uh, just dissolved they uh, they had some strife internally and uh they've two of the members left matt tong left and i think the uh, now i forgot who the bassist or one of the guitarists left and so they're still making music and they're actually 
playing their debut album, Silent Alarm, uh, on tour, like playing it in, in its entirety. Uh, but a lot of fans are not really super excited because it's not the same lineup that you know recorded the album. Uh-huh. Uh, but Matt Tong actually went on to what he thought was going to be a temporary gig, uh, filling in for a band, but now he has become a permanent member of the band Algiers, which we have talked about a couple times on the oh. show. Yeah. So I thought that was neat the way it kind of circled back. Um, but Block Party has uh, some songs I really like. Uh, they're not, I guess indie rock is really the only thing they would fit in, the only category they'd fit in. Um, but they've been kind of hit and miss. Everything I've heard by them, I either really like it or I just don't care for it at all. And when I have seen clips of them playing live, it's been the same thing. And now that I think about it, I don't know if some of those clips were with different members or not. But hmm. um, one of the things I realized especially with my favorite song of theirs, which is called Helicopter. The reason I like it so much is because of the drums. It's a it's a good song anyway, but the drums just elevate it to another level. And I've I always pictured I never, you know, knew who the drummer was. And I in my head I just pictured someone just a mop of hair just whizzing around. Like you never could even see their face because their hair was just <laughs> whizzing. And all you saw was just a whir of, of sticks. Like, you know, like almost like animal from the Muppets, <laughs> yeah. but you know, in human form. So when I saw him, I was like, Oh, that's what he looks like. Okay. Well, he looks much more calm and reserved than I pictured. Uh, and then I found a clip of them playing live on Jules Holland and yeah, he, he tore it up. Um, but yeah, this song helicopter, I, I just, the, from the, from the minute the drums come in, I feel like they just push the song. You know, I always talk about that, that that sense of urgency propelling the song forward. And boy, they sure as hell do that on this song. So I think he's possibly the best part of, of Block Party. And now that he's gone, apparently a lot of people are disappointed about it. And I'm glad he's found another relevant, good band, you know, to land in. So uh, hopefully yeah. Algiers will find continued success. But uh, yeah, let's give a listen to Helicopter. You know their their bio here. I'm mean, it's got it in front of me. It actually says uh, equal inspired by bands like Sonic Youth, Joy Division, Gang of Four, and The Cure. And and honestly, those first three, Sonic Youth, Joy Division, Gang of Four, kind of describes them perfectly. Uh, but no, none of those bands had a drummer uh, with a that could play a beat like that. I, I'm not, I don't mean to agree with you too, you know, <laughs> too uh, eagerly. Mm-hmm. But uh, that that is a that is a breakneck pace. I don't. It, it actually I got sort of taken away by the guitar interplay. Yeah, because uh, that's very Gang of Four. Uh, you know, kind of television almost. Not really, sort of. Um, I mean, and I had to force myself to actually pay attention to the drums because that's what you were talking about. And it really is. It's it's um, it's it's uh, Herculean 
to play that beat, I'm sure. Well, I, what I love, it, well, for one thing, it just sounds like it's such a fun song to play for everyone involved. Like it just, it's, it just sounds like no matter what instrument you're playing, it sounds like a fun song. But when there are those, yeah. there are those little breaks, uh, you know, towards like leading up to the chorus, I just picture him having so much trouble stopping because he just, you know, he's playing <laughs> so hard and, and, and fast and he just wants to keep going. I just picture that break as being just so hard to, to do. I just, yeah. uh, something about that. I just, uh, I love that song. Do you think this translates his talents translate in his current project Algiers? Well, the, see, that's the thing about, about drums to me that I don't know if, translates on every other instrument so easily is that I think a good drummer, if they're a truly good drummer, they can be good in any style of music in any band. They can add something to any band they're in. Does that, does that make sense? Sure. Why I mean, not? there are drummers who can only pound on the skins and only, you know, play punk or, you know, play, you know, whatever. There are guys who can only play a shuffle beat for a blues band or something like that. But uh-huh. I think a really good drummer can add to any band that they're in. I, I think that's the difference between a drummer and a percussionist. Ah, okay. You know? Okay. Yeah, a percussionist is a far more sophisticated thing, at least in my mind. That makes sense. Uh, so, okay. Yeah. Well, and and actually, if I, if memory serves, uh, watching Algiers play, uh, and I, I haven't seen them live, but I I watched them play KEXP or somewhere like that, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it was only the three of them, I think, right? Or was it four of them? Uh, anyway, I don't know. point being that they did have a drummer there and it must have been Matt Tong and and, uh, and and those guys certainly have fun doing what they're doing. It may not be as explosive as Block Party, but um, I'll say this. I'll, I'll take the lead singer of Algiers over over Block Party because that, yeah. that guy's voice, that guy's voice just always bumped me. Right. So, OK, what have you got lined up for us next? Well, it, my number two was going to be uh, a love letter to the B side. Uh, I mm-hmm. had a couple of b-sides that it's so weird how you can you can you know a band will put out so many singles and and yet their best song is was barely even released uh, but i actually abandoned that because uh you know i think i think a lesser beloved category of released music is that of the reissue uh, you know, it's it's always mm-hmm. kind of seen in the same light. Like when you when you find out that Led Zeppelin is releasing Houses of the Holy again with a mm-hmm. gatefold and it's on on vinyl and it's you know colored vinyl and it a fucking coffee book and they'll blow you if you when you open it. You know, like do you do you take that in any kind of certain kind of spirit? Like are you I mean, if it's a band you love, obviously not Led Zeppelin with you, but do you do you, do you get excited or do you sort of you know, are you ambivalent? No, I really could not care less. I, like right now, uh, isn't there a reissue coming out of uh, Injustice for All that comes with a whole ton of crap? Yeah, and it's that, a good yeah, point. That doesn't excite me in the least. The only thing that excites me about that is that there, there's a possibility they remixed it and boosted the bass a little bit. That's all I really would care about, but not of the, none of the extras that would come with it or anything. I could not care less. You will not be surprised to learn that that is the one thing that we wanted from that reissue, and we will not be getting it. Mm-hmm. I actually just read this article like five, four or five days ago. Oh, yeah. Massive reissue. 30 years for Inju- and, uh, Injustice for All. I'm like, great. Let's hear the Jason mix. Nope. <laughs> right. <laughs> nope. They're literally not going to do that. They're going to uh... put a bunch of other bullshit in there. Like, well, who cares then? We have that album. Yeah. Uh, however, the one thing I will say about reissues is when they release stuff that we've never, ever heard. 
it's it's like a time capsule. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, so take a band like Pearl Jam. When when Versus their second album came out in 1993, 25 years ago, uh, they sold almost a million units in five days. Wow. Uh, you don't you don't see those kind of numbers. Period anymore. Forget about five days. Uh, so they were huge. And the idea that I that was my favorite band in high school, arguably my favorite band uh, immediately outside of high school. Uh, in high school, I had a Pearl Jam T-shirt for every day of the week. It just you know it it just suited me. I thought they were doing the best music ever recorded. You know, and and not that I was wrong. Uh, you know, I mean, I think I kind of was, <laughs> but but you know, I really I really love Pearl Jam from that era still. And uh-huh. and you know, you can you can accuse me of being a uh, middle-aged nostalgist and i would probably wear that because it, i really have no argument against it uh but the idea that i would be that steeped in pearl jam mythology i've been a fan of the 10 club since then uh so you know the idea that i wouldn't be aware of stuff that was recorded back then until recently mm-hmm. is is mind-boggling to me but there is one song and when i first read about them reissuing verses they said well they're gonna they're gonna release one outtake one, uh, you know, one cover that we've already heard and an acoustic version of another song we've already heard. And I'm like, Jesus, why would anyone buy this? Which presumably is why I ignored it like I do all the other reissues. Mm-hmm. However, that outtake is not it, it, it is not labeled correctly. I wouldn't call it an out. I guess it is an outtake because they took it out. You know, they didn't they didn't end up making it uh, part of the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, this instrumental track is called uh, Creedy Stomp, as in Mike McCready. And it's a uh, it's a it's a reverb laden, riftastic jam session. You know, it's it's um, it's Mike McCready, and I, assumingly it's Stone Goster in the mix there too, but maybe not. Consider you know, it depends on when they abandon it. Uh, but Jeff Amen doing his thing, of course. And then my favorite, one of my favorite drummers of all time, although I, I think he's a dick, uh, is is Dave Eberzasi. Uh He was fired in 1994, and and, and in my view, Pearl Jam was never the same. Um, but this Creedy Stomp thing, it's like I was saying, it's like a, it's like a time capsule. Um, and, and for me, this kind of harkens back to a simpler time where rock music could just be rock music. You know, this, this track sounds organic and fun. And, uh, and I'm just imagining what a early nineties Eddie Vedder would sound like snarling over these riffs uh, it, it's in a way it's, it's so great to hear this, but it also kind of feels like a really, you know, real missed opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, and I should apologize for losing cool points on this. I know Pearl Jam isn't cool or whatever, but I loved them so intensely for so long. And the idea that I never even came across this until last year, uh, you got to hand it to reissues for that because this is when, a, when was this reissued? It was actually reissued on the 20th anniversary in 2013. Oh, okay. It must've okay. been 2013. Gotcha. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's great. <laughs> it's just great. Anyway, uh, listen, I guess, I guess I, I, I have this written down. I would, I would call this, I'm great. I'm grateful for this because reissues aren't always bad. Uh, I love nostalgia and, uh, I love it when young people make music because these guys, none of these guys are 30 at this point. Uh, and I and I mm-hmm. think they make I think honestly this is another broad sweeping statement, but I honestly do think writing music is for the young.
sounds cool. And so that that's the uh, original drummer. Is that right? No, actually, the original drummer was Dave Krusen, who uh, had to quit the band s- uh, shortly after recording their first album. Oh, okay. Uh, and he 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 was replaced by Dave Eberzesi uh, sort of quickly. And I don't think they got a chance to really vet him. Um, famously, there's there's a lot of conflict in these in these recording sessions for verses. So much so that Eddie would like wander off in his truck and even sleep in his truck instead of hang out with the rest of the band. And um, and I, by the way, my 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 instincts tell me Eddie's a dick too. Um, but uh, the the most famous thing about Dave Eberzesi conflicting with the Eddie specifically was when uh, he had bought a couple of handguns with his, uh, you know, his, was arguably his well-earned money off of uh, Pearl Jam's success. And I don't know if you remember that T-shirt from Pearl Jam back in the '90s, that little girl with a handgun. They were not they were not big fans of firearms or handguns, and uh, and so Eddie got into sort of a thing, a tiff with Dave. And uh, the, the which produced uh, a song on this album called Glorified G, which was uh, sort of completely poking fun at the fragile masculinity of uh, of Dave's guns. So <laughs> anyway, I, it's really sad, though, because they were they were so, so sharp uh, under his watch, Dave Eberzesi. So anyway. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So I not like the original. Yeah. That, that's my that's my long way of answering your question. Was that the original drummer? But that Jesus, was I need that's that. Dave. <laughs> that's Dave on that track. Yeah. It absolutely. Is okay. Do you think that there's uh, something to a drummer's personality that lends to their style or the way they play? I think that's probably true for any instrumentalist, don't you think? Yeah, I think, well, I think something about drums just seems to have more of a nuanced, like a feel to it where I feel like a, someone's personality would carry over maybe more than a guitar or a bass or something. But I mean, yeah, it's yeah. definitely true to a point, but I'm just, yeah, I wonder, cause he sounds like, yeah, he sounds kind of like a, like a douche, but I just, uh, maybe <laughs> is that why he played so well? I don't know. I don't know. And But I do think that even if it isn't your personality, if you're a drummer, you have a personality behind yeah. the set. And I think that's that's what you're hearing, you know, when when if you know a guy mm-hmm. uh, the way he sounds. So nice. Yeah. Okay. And I, I mean, I guess I guess when I was playing drums actively, uh, you know, in, in a weird way, it was the the opposite of how I was in real life because I was kind of behind the set. I was kind of extroverted and playful. Mm-hmm. You know, and then off stage, it was you know I was afraid to talk to people a lot of the time. Right? Yeah. Don't 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 so. not, don't talk to me, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and the drums are a pretty visceral instrument, whereas yeah. you know anything with strings is probably less so. Yeah. So, yeah. You, I think you have a point there. What's up next, Ken? Well, I decided uh, I'm going to st- look at a bassist now. And I-, I struggled a little bit with the bassists because, I, you know, there are a lot of good bassists out. And yet I, I didn't want to talk about anyone we had already talked about. I didn't want to, you know, retread. And I, I think I found someone who I can actually make a case for uh, because this person helped make Eric Clapton listenable. 
And I, I I know how everyone feels, everyone being you and and my wife about Eric Clapton. Um, <laughs> and to and to a certain degree, you. Yeah, I, I really fell out of out of love with Eric Clapton, and the reason why is because see, this is what I realized over the years is that what I liked about Eric Clapton was uh, his early playing uh, from uh, the early to mid, well, I guess it's the late sixties. Uh, with uh, John Mayall's Blues Breakers and then with the, uh, Cream uh, later on. And mm-hmm. I realized that uh, he never really wrote any of the music. Like he, he co-wrote a handful of songs through the, over the years. But once he became a, a songwriter and really took over writing his own music, that's when he really started to suck. And um, I mean, mm-hmm. not to mention he has a, a shit voice. Um, and, and I think he got lazy with his playing as time went on later on as well. But uh, his best playing is over, you know, we've talked about this before, is over good songs. Uh, yeah. Something moves him to, to actually give a shit. And he, and he solos like he's got something to say on, on his early yeah. work that has a little more fire to it. A high tide raises all the boats. Yeah. And, so. and uh, what I realized, I, you know, back in the day when I was, you know, a fan and I was listening to Cream and, and the Blues Breakers, I didn't really understand all that or I didn't care maybe. Uh, but I realized since then that the vast majority or, you know, a healthy majority of the Cream songs that I liked uh, were all written by their bassist, Jack Bruce. And he also was their primary vocalist. Clapton sang a little bit, but... Uh, Jack Bruce really gave them their sound in terms of his voice and the the songs that he wrote. Hmm. And I started uh, kind of just looking into him a little bit and I was really uh, kind of surprised. I just didn't realize how good of a musician he was, how good of a songwriter. He was really active all through his life. You know, I mean, I, he's one of those people that after cream, you think, well, well, he, what did he do after that? Did he die? Like what happened? He, <laughs> he clearly must've just fell off the face of the earth. Um, but mm-hmm. he, you know, he, he stayed busy. He never found the same success, obviously, but he was, uh, he played all sorts of different kinds of music and he never really stopped trying to grow and, and, you know, played all different styles. And I think that's going to come up again uh, with my number one too, is there's, that's I, I feel like a sign of a good, uh, well, not just a good musician, but any anything that you're talking about, learning a trade or a craft or an art, is that willingness to keep learning, you know, never just rest on yeah. your laurels once you're good at something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's speaking of Clapton. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's what what he did. You know, he played all kinds of jazz and 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 all sorts of different things, but. The song I, I really wanted to showcase was not even a Cream song uh, because he, he actually put, tried to ride that success for a little while after Cream and put out a couple solo records. And now uh, he just had kind of marginal success. Uh, but the first one was called, uh, what was it called? Songs for a Tailor. It's a catchy name for a solo record. Um <laughs> <laughs> it came out in 69, a year after Cream uh, broke up. Uh-huh. And uh, he had a song on there that the name of the song may ring familiar to people, but probably not, I'm guessing, to the people. I, you know, Again, I don't know who listens to this show, but probably not a lot of fans of the band Mountain out there. Um, Mountain, <laughs> yeah. Mountain had a song uh, on one of their records. <laughs> you know called- what Mountain is? Mountain's like, that. oh, that tape my uncle had. Right. You know, it's it's not like a household name, but it's definitely like music for our dads. Yeah. Which I don't I will. Well, never mind. Um, Anyway, (laughs) they had a song. They covered a song called Theme 
for an imaginary Western. And uh, it was arguably one of their bigger hits up there with maybe like Mississippi Queen and one other song. But it was actually a Jack Bruce song. Jack Bruce was uh, good friends with a, a, one of the guys in Mountain who actually produced a lot of the Cream albums and produced his solo records as well. Mm. Uh, and Jack Bruce's version is, is quite different, actually. Uh, and ironically... Uh, it's it's largely a piano song. There isn't even really a lot of uh, <laughs> bass on it, but that's OK, because I feel like it still just shows the talent he had. And I, I think that anyone who can make Clapton that uh, that good uh, and make him give a shit about his music that much is worth, uh, you know, worth noting. So let's give a listen to a theme for an imaginary Western. me mad uh because that's a pretty good song and and it, but it makes me mad that that we don't know that i don't know about it that people don't know you know it's it's like yeah. um you know classic rock can really only remember singles mm-hmm. and it's it's a shame because like there's two songs in particular from this era when was this released uh 1969 yeah and see this is even that's even older um well still from i guess from this era there's two songs from um uh, Classic rock artists, it drives me crazy. Well, I guess not classic, but, you know, from my parents' generation. They're honestly better songs than a lot of their singles, and, mm-hmm. and no one knows them. The mm-hmm. Beach Boys have a song called Sail on Sailor that's such a good goddamn song, and the only reason anyone knows it is from the, the Departed soundtrack. Oh, uh-huh. Elton John has a song called Holiday Inn, which is one of the most lyrical and and competent songs he's ever written and uh, charming. And you could tell it was just written on a whim. And like this Jack Bruce song is really good. Mm-hmm. And it kind of sounds like Freebird meets Elton John. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and there's a lot to like here. But why have I never heard of it? Right. Well, I you know, I sampled the uh, the album um, songs for a Taylor and. There was a lot of good material on that album, and it, you, when you listen to it all, uh, you know, at once like that, you can see how much of him was Cream, you know. And Clapton, yeah, you know, Clapton got all the attention, and then of course Ginger Baker was just sort of a beast. He was also kind of like animal-like behind the drums, yeah. and he was <laughs> yes. just a personality. So for Jack Bruce to even you know, stand, you know, stand with them, uh, let alone be the main voice really says something, but yeah, everyone, you know, gives the attention to Clapton for all of his, uh, guitar work. <laughs> I was reading about Clapton uh, or, uh, cream's breakup and, uh, talking about how they just couldn't get along. They just, didn't. why am I laughing already? <laughs> this like, is, yeah. I bet it was p- funny for some reason. Well, I, I just, I just love this because 
you know, Clapton did an interview or something, or I don't know, maybe later on talking about the breakup of the band. And he said they, they were so obsessed with being loud and wanting to like kind of overshadow each other. And, and they didn't want to really, you know, collaborate as much as just, it was like three guys just doing their own thing. And yeah. uh, Jack Bruce had started playing his bass out of a Marshall stack so he could be so <laughs> fucking loud that, you know, like, yeah. And uh, him and Ginger Baker were just going off in their own directions. And Clapton said at one point they were at a gig and he just stopped playing completely and looked over and neither of them had even noticed. They just were so <laughs> into their own shit, just banging away on their instruments. He's like, OK, I think it's time to maybe uh, call, call it. We need to just move on. But, I'm willing to bet that that's a projection of, of Clint Clapton's ego, though, you know. Yeah, very well could be. The idea that you would share a stage with Clapton night after night without that happening, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I can't imagine. So, well, right. what's interesting is that, you know, Clapton and, uh, and Ginger Baker went on to form Blind Faith after Cream, which, oh, you know, right. makes me wonder, well, so was Jack Bruce the asshole or was the he the problem? same one? Yeah. yeah it was like, wh- which is it? But yeah. It's, it's, it's like, did, did they get rid of a dysfunction or did a dysfunction get rid of him? Yeah. Exactly. So, but hmm. anyway, yeah, there, there's still a lot of good al- material on that album. So, uh, yeah, anyone who likes that should definitely check it out. Okay. Uh, and you're grateful for that because I why? I think anyone who can, can make Clapton that good and that listenable really is an unsung hero. And uh, the fact that Clapton got all the credit when it was really Jack Bruce writing most of that material, I feel like he you know should have gotten more. I mean, he's, he's esteemed in, in, you know, like rock circles and like, you know, other musicians, you know, yeah. give him credit, but I think largely he's kind of unknown and that's just a shame. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a really good pick then it's pulling. Yeah. It's showing light in, into, into the darkness. <laughs> well, I, I have a number one for you. Uh, and it's, it's, um, it's related to Roxy music. A- any familiarity with Roxy music? Roxy music with, uh, Brian Ferry. Indeed. And Brian Eno. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right, I'm listening. Roxy Music is one of those bands that, when I was working in the record store, you know, we'd <laughs> say we'd get something that you had to have on catalog or something by by Roxy Music, and I'd look at it and I would be like, mm, "Well, moving on," just because it looks like all their album covers look like the Cars or Ario mm-hmm. Speedwagon. It just looked like something that was going to be bad. And to be honest, I've listened to a little bit of Roxy Music this very day. I don't really like Roxy Music. And and they're treated like one of the most I'm sure I'm sure we have a few listeners that would be more than willing to stick up for Roxy Music the band here because they're they're honestly they're treated like uh like a really big deal by rock critics. And I've I've never really understood it and but I've never really gone out of my way to understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh but Brian Ferry, you know, he, that that band stopped existing years ago. Uh, I can't I can't even remember when they when they stopped being a band. But you know they evolved from like the late '60s, uh, so they were around a long time. But the thing I'm talking about is not Brian Ferry or Roxy Music. It's the Brian Ferry Orchestra, who in 2013 put out an album called The Jazz Age. Uh, this is a eight member retro jazz ensemble. And uh, Brian Ferry is not a member. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so there's no singing and no Brian Ferry in the Brian Ferry Orchestra. 
Um, it is, it is, when I say it's a retro jazz ensemble, it, it, you'll know what I mean as soon as you hear it. This came out right around the time I was really getting into Boardwalk Empire, the HBO series Boardwalk Empire. Mm-hmm. And it, it pairs perfectly because it's, it's clear that Brian Ferry, I mean, don't get me wrong, he, he's still involved, even if he's not in the, the orchestra. Uh, he, he's more like a conductor or, or a producer or, you know, something like that. And um, what the Brian Ferry Orchestra does is they re-record stuff from Brian Ferry's career, either Roxy Music or otherwise. And okay. this Jazz Age album, I think, is almost completely songs by him. This isn't like retro bebop or retro acid jazz. This is retro 20s jazz. <laughs> you know, this is, this is from a very specific decade, the style in which this music is played. But the more you let it play the more fascinating and disarmingly complex it is. Mm-hmm. And it was really strange to go through this album and pick out a song here that I really like and a song that I really like and go back to the original and go, wow, this is way better than the original. Uh, and, and that's kind of my experience throughout. I've, I have yet to compare uh, Love is the Drug or Avalon or This Island Earth with its original counterparts and liked it better. Uh, Brian Ferry, when he got this together, he said... He wanted to know how do these songs hold up because his his hypothesis was that a good song is adaptable. And I was going to ask you, how true do you think that is? You know, can you if it's if a good song is adaptable, A, is that true? And B, if that is true, could you do this with any song? Well, I think a lot of that's going to depend on who's adapting it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there are certain songs that lend themselves to being ad- adapted, but I was just thinking about the, uh, the group. They're kind of a YouTube sensation, uh, postmodern jukebox. Do you know mm-hmm. who I'm talking about? And they cover, uh, vaguely, they do the big band type, uh, covers of, of pop songs and, and rock songs. And that's real hit and miss. Like sometimes okay. they'll they'll really like just hit it out of the park, and sometimes it's really flat. And I think it it partially because, honestly, I think they're not up to par to be doing that. I you know what I mean? I feel like they're in over their head a little bit, which yeah. is kind of shitty to say, but I that's what I feel like. I think they're just not quite good enough. If you've got top notch musicians doing it, I think they can make almost anything work. Well, here, tell you what, I'm going to play you a little bit of the original of a song called Avalon. In a motion, without conversation, or a notion. So, you know, synth heavy, really, really produced, you know, in the way that stuff in the 80s was. Uh, And now compare this with my pick, which is the Brian Ferry Orchestra from the album called Jazz Age from 2012. Uh, Here's the same song, Avalon.
there's my number one pick. I'm I'm grateful for that because I really like it when uh, artists go in other directions, other genres, especially. You don't you don't get that a lot, other genres. No, that that's that's incredible. And it, you know what it feels like listening to that. It it, it reminds me of like when you. Uh, are maybe like in a, a group conversation or something and, and someone makes an inside joke or an inside reference that you just barely are aware of enough to kind of play off like you get it, even though you're kind of like <laughs> not really sure if you get it. And then, uh-huh. it, but if you, if you knew what they were talking about, you'd get it so much deeper. I like, you have to go listen to Roxy music to really appreciate this. And that's <laughs> kind of amazing. Like that's, that's wow. I, I have to go listen to Roxy music now so that I can listen to this. I actually don't know if that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to me, the, this album actually has its own set of legs. Uh, it, it, actually in, in a way, this is party music to me. Not that I throw mm-hmm. any parties at my house. God forbid I've, I have kids and animals. I don't like people coming over here. Uh, but uh, but like if you put this on at a at say your your company holiday party, mm-hmm. this would go perfectly. Oh sure. Like it it kind it kind of doesn't matter that it's Roxy music, you know. Well, I mean, it definitely stands on its own. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but at the same time, if you knew where what the source material was, I think it would just you would just be blown away. Yeah. You know, it would just elevate. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear you. I hear you. That, so but, and and I, I I can't even remember if that's my favorite song. It's been a while since I've listened to this. I want to say this island Earth might be my favorite, but there's Love Is the Drug and Do the Strand. I mean, just do yourself a favor and get this record. It's uh, it is uh, just over a half hour of of, of pure wonderfulness. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. I yeah, I'll probably uh, you know, knowing me, I will probably go and listen to it and never get around to listening to Roxy music. So I'll never fully appreciate it, but I'll still like it. It's still good. Like I said, I don't like Roxy music. I think they're really overrated, but that's, yeah. you know, what do I know? I'm pretty much right with you there on, on them. I, whenever I would read about a, an artist or, uh, you know, someone collaborating with Brian Eno, like that was a big deal. I was like, well, who cares? I just, yeah, never really. Yeah saw what the big deal was but again like like you i never tried i never you know i never even cared enough to try and figure it out may well maybe one of these days uh what's your number one dude well for my number one we're we're now to obviously the most important instrument in all of music the guitar and uh i'm going (laughs) to try not to gush and i will probably fail miserably um there is a guy out there uh, named Derek Trucks. Have you ever heard that name? Yes. Oh boy, here we go. I love <laughs> no, it. It's it's actually I don't know anything about him. I'm actually prejudging. Uh, it's just one of those guitarists that Rolling Stone creams their underpants over, and and just based on that, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh okay, so he plays like Dwayne Allman, Allman, and they really like that or something. I don't know. I just found a way to dismiss him somehow. Well, see that that's. <clears throat> The, the comparison to Dwayne Allman is inevitable because Derek Trucks, um, he was a member of the Allman Brothers band uh, and he plays slides. Uh. So uh, he's compared to uh, Dwayne. But uh, I think what Greg Allman's quote was, he said something to the effect of Derek Trucks is the guitarist that Dwayne would or could have become if he had, you know, not died at like 31 or whatever age he died, you know. Uh-huh. Um, Derek Trucks is kind of a prodigy. His dad. Wait, wait, wait. Dwayne, Dwayne Allman's the one that died young? Yeah. Who's the guy that just died? Greg? Yeah, Greg just died. Okay. 
Gotcha. Which just side note for no reason at all. Greg Allman uh, was uh, at the very first concert I went to. First person I ever saw live was Greg Allman. Wow. Solo. Not the Greg, not the huh. Allman Brothers band. Uh, anyway. Okay. Um, Derek Truck's dad was, I believe, the keyboardist in the Allman Brothers band. Mm-hmm. And so he started learning guitar at a very early age. I don't know how early, but very, very young. And his first um, appearance on stage with the Allman Brothers was when he was 13. Uh, he played Layla with them of all songs. Wow. And uh, yeah. but so he he played Layla on stage with them. He would jam with them, you know, every so often uh, as a kid like that. Uh, and he officially became a member of the band when he was 19. And uh, I know nice work if you can get it. Yeah. He's now uh, 39, I believe. Um, Mm -hmm. And he actually ended up marrying a uh, a guitarist and a singer named Susan Tedeschi. And they have Uh a band called the Tedeschi Trucks Band, uh, which is blues based, um, more or less a blues band. It's a slightly more interesting than your, you know, typical to just wrote, you know, blues but it's are they are they more blues or they more southern rock? I would call well, I I think they I would call them more blues. They're um, blues outfit, okay. Yeah, but they're a little more interesting than that. Their songs are a little more complicated. Um, not a lot, but a little. Uh, he also has his own band, the Ter- Derek Trucks Band. He he's got his his uh, his fingers in a lot of pots. He's got a lot of irons in the fire. I don't know, however you want to say it. Um, yeah. But like like I was saying with with Jack Bruce, the thing I really like about Derek Trucks, like, you know, when you you know, you're looking at maybe someone who's probably a better instrumentalist than others is he's never stopped collaborating with other people or learning other styles of music. You know, he's always pushing himself to learn more and play more kinds of things. And I think it shows in his playing because I am as agnostic as they come, but I will tell you without hesitation i think derek trucks has been touched by the hand of god because Mm -hmm. this man can play like nobody it's just too easy right it it is unreal um well you know in in blues uh parlance it's he hasn't been touched by an angel he's he's made probably he's been made uh, he made a deal with the devil he sold the soul (laughs) of the devil like robert johnson um yeah yeah it, it it's it's hard sometimes to remember just how good he is uh, because again, see, this is the problem. This is, this is where the difference is between him and, and say like, you know, Clapton with Jack Bruce, he's not playing over great music. It's okay. It's fine that, you know, it, oh. it, it's fine, but the songs themselves <laughs> are, they're just okay. They're just a vehicle for him to solo. Basically. You know what I mean? You're he, talking about Tedeschi trucks, all of it. Even his solo oh, stuff is okay. just, it's okay. It, you know, some of it's, some of it's pretty good. None of it's like great though, mm-hmm. but he is pretty much the only blues based guitarist that I would sit through all the shitty songs in the world just to hear him solo because it is just hmm. another level when he, when he solos, uh, he plays without the slide too. And he's, really really good without the slide i mean he's damn good without the slide but when he puts that slide on he can he can even make it sound like a sitar sometimes he can do anything with the slide and the thing is you can hear the blues in his playing but he doesn't sound like anybody else hmm. there's a song tedeschi trucks uh, does 
called Midnight in Harlem. And like I said, it's it's fine. It's not a bad song at all. It's okay. not, nothing great. Um, but there's a, a YouTube video. Um, I think it's just called like Derek Trucks Solo Compilations Part One or something like that. Anyway, it's got a like nine minutes worth of different solos of his from live performances. Mm-hmm. And the first clip is a solo from uh, Midnight in Harlem at some some concert. I don't know where. And it is the most amazing solo. I just it gives me the chills. And mm-hmm. I can actually pinpoint the exact moment that he like he reaches in and touches my soul. He only plays about 10 notes. And oh god. It's <laughs> Mm. It, but okay. it, if you, you know, if someone has the time, they should listen to the entire solo because it's a phenomenal solo. version of him that matches what he can do live. I don't know why that magic can't transfer onto tape or, you know, whatever they used to record now digital, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the live, he just unleashes. I don't know if he's restrained in the studio. If it's a, I don't know quite what it is, but yeah, live is when it really shines. Say, say digital again. <laughs> did I say it funny? I knew I did. You said it weird. Digital. Yeah, say it. Digital. Digital. <laughs> I'm going to over enunciate. You you really appreciate this. You're grateful for this because why he's just so good. Well, it's just the fact that I guess that's, you know, he's really the one of the only people keeping a basically dying art form alive uh, with the blues. Uh, my ultimate hope with him is that at some point he collaborates with someone to make music that is as good as those solos. Yeah. I I don't know if that will ever happen, but with someone like him, who's always playing with more people and always collaborating, I am hopeful that that will happen. I know. I noticed he doesn't use a pick. No, no, he doesn't. That's, Uh -uh. that's something I've never seen that before. I mean, is that, is that more prevalent than I realize, or is that pretty singular to him? Uh, there are a handful of guys who do it, but not a lot. Uh, like Mark Knopfler doesn't use a pick. Um, yeah, there, there are you know some guys out there. Anyway, I yeah, I think he's at least as far as blues goes. I know there are m- so many guitarists I'm not even aware of, like jazz wise and you know classical, all different styles. But as far as like blues and rock, I think he's probably the best guitarist alive right now. Well, um, hey, are we doing all? I mean, I have a couple I can mention for also rands here. Do you? Um, I mean, I have a, I mean, a sort of a couple things. I'm, I, what when else I was, are you grateful for? Well, when I was looking at bassists, there's a, a bassist I really don't even know all that well. I just, I'm aware of how amazing he is, uh, named J- Jaco Pistorius. And, uh, 
he has a song called Portrait for Tracy. That is, Why do I know that name? Did he play in a band I should know about? Uh, he was in the band Weather Report way back when. With, he played with uh, Pat Metheny. He's played with a lot of people. He played with uh, Johnny That's Mitchell. Um, yeah, I remember stalking him in the jazz section, I think. Paco. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He uh, he is a phenomenal bass player. Well, was. But uh, he this song, Portrait for Tracy, is one of the weirdest sounding songs in, in like a good way, but also almost kind of off-putting. It, it's... A really interesting song, but I just didn't really know enough about him. Uh, he had a real interesting life, though. I, there's a documentary on Netflix about him. I might watch that here in the next day or two because I'm I'm off. This is my like my Friday night or Saturday morning, yeah. however you want to say it. He mm-hmm. uh, he had some mental issues and uh, and you know drug and alcohol issues. And one of his favorite activities was to pick a fight with somebody and let them kick his ass. And that is like so amazing to me. God, that that's the Lord's work right there. That's actually how he died. He got his ass kicked so bad. He was put, he went into a coma and died. Wow. That just blows my mind. Like, wow. How fucked up do you need to be to like, that's your pastime. Um, the only other, like also ran, I, I did almost went with just like portions of songs instead of instruments. And I was going to uh, mention the end of or the set. Yeah, I guess like the end of Sugar by System of a Down, because that got me through an especially shitty winter when I worked at Toys R Us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was uh, just a, the most soul sucking job in the world. And <laughs> that's so funny that that's what I, of course it is. It's like yeah. it's like working at Disneyland. I'm sure I'd be miserable. at, at Disneyland. Uh, It was the worst. And uh, I would sit in my car before each shift and and for whatever reason, the radio station there, KCAL 96.7, they would play that song almost the exact same time every night. And it would always be right as I was getting to work. And I would sit in my dad's beat up Honda Civic and I would blast that song as loud as I could get it to go. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was almost like uh, doing a shot or smoking a cigarette. It was like once it was over, yeah. I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to face this fucking day now. <laughs> And then um, when I was thinking about drums, I almost went with just a certain parts of drums. But I, if I did that, I felt like I would be concentrating too much on metal because there's so much metal drumming I like. Um, yeah. I honestly, I love the drums from Seasons in the Abyss so much. The song, the fills that uh-huh. Dave Lombardo does uh, kind of like between the verses. It just sounds like thunder rolling in or something. Uh, yeah. There's a drum fill uh, that, uh, oh shit, I can't think of his name now. Uh, the drummer for Gojira does on the title track of their, not this current album, but their last album, where he hits, mm-hmm. he does like a roll on the ride cymbal in the middle of this big tom roll. And I had never heard a drummer do that before, and it just blew <laughs> my mind. I, I, yeah. I, you can do that? But uh, even anyway. as a drummer, I'm like, how many arms does this guy have? Yeah. When I hear stuff like that. Yeah. And then, I mean, I didn't even get, you know, I kind of changed direction before I got too far because I knew that was a, just too big of a rabbit hole because I hadn't even gotten to like Chris Adler or any of those <laughs> guys yet. I was like, okay, yeah, I, need to, I need to focus. But what did you have for also Rans? You know, uh, it's funny that you picked Jack Bruce because I had a similar pick where at least we're not so much in the in the shadow of a bigger artist. But uh, there's a, a duo back in the 60s called uh, named maybe it's the 70s, Richard and Linda Thompson. 
Uh, I wanted to highlight it because I'm so grateful at being able to find good music that was old and also kind of, you know, undiscovered. Even though even though this is a celebrated album, I don't think I know one person that would know uh, Richard and Linda Thompson's I Want to See the Bright Lights Tonight. Um, such a good album. I was also going to go with the Melvins just for just for careers alone. Like, you know, like the Melvins have been following their muse the entire time mm-hmm. and they've been around 30 years. And I, I, I don't love even 25 percent of what they do, but I, I just respect that so hard. <laughs> you know? Right. And I was going to play a song called Revolve off of Stoner Rich, uh, Stoner Witch that I love so much, but decided not to. Uh, two more. I was gonna. I was gonna have an appreciation for bands with bad vocalists. <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes it just doesn't matter. Right. Uh, actually, sometimes it can make it better, depending on what your band is attempting to do. And in the case of Michigan's uh, The Crucifix, <laughs> they, <laughs> they had a they had a, a singer. I can't even remember his name right now. Dash or anyway, his his voice is terrible. And it fit that band perfectly on uh, on a song they wrote called "The Story of Thomas McElway, who uh, who was an IRA uh, protester. And uh, and I yes, I just I don't know. I've I've got a soft spot for guys that can't sing. And um, finally, I was going to say an appreciation for uh, songs of pure joy, just um, uncomplicated, easy to like, uh, you know, a- any kind of genre. And I and I came up the best example I could come up with is, uh, do you know the Barquet's Soul Finger? I'll bet I would know it if I heard it, but I don't. That name doesn't. <laughs> Here, hang on, I'll play a second for you. that song so much and it's an instrumental too it, the only voices on it are kids shouting soul finger so that was about it for me um next week we are doing house cleaning so we may even have time to do more than three if we if we really make it economical yeah yeah that would be cool i i'm really looking forward to that i have quite a few i'd like to kind of get out there so that'll that'll be good cool um, real quick, we should talk listener list on Facebook, although I fucked up again and posted late. So this is the Tabby and uh, Tabby Tavis and Robbie show. Right. Um, Robbie said one thing. He's grateful that even though everyone's been saying it for 35 years, gloss finally proved that punk's not dead. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't agree with that more. Yeah. And then Tavis, Tavis really goes to town on Facebook, which I love, uh, especially when he says things like Nico cases enchanting alto. Uh, he's he's just trying to get on the air at that point. Uh, <laughs> but he also says Brian May's guitar tone on the We Will Rock You solo, which is pretty apt. Yeah. Uh, we But we, he also mentions Chuck Mangione, and we know Tavis has a thing for Chuck Mangione uh, for, for proving you can have a Billboard Top 10 hit playing a, playing a flugelhorn. <laughs> and then uh, he also says The Mummies for showing that it's possible to be shitty and great at the same time. I think that's actually an episode idea. Yeah. 
know, bands that are shitty and great at the same time. Yeah, I like that. And then he shouts out a, a, a current. He says the Vanilla Poppers for reminding me that there are still great new bands, which is a really good takeaway from this episode. I'm very grateful to hear I that. I would like to think that we remind people that there are still great new bands, uh, <laughs> yeah. but that's okay. That's okay. I'm not, I'm not hurt by that. Well, I guess we should move along to our yep. wager. Who should we bet on this week? Let's see. Um, my list is... Pearl Jam is probably the obvious one. You want to do Pearl Jam? Have we done Pearl Jam? I don't know. <laughs> we could. I don't have. know either. Well, as long as we, as long as neither one of us know, let's go ahead and do it. Okay, and uh, you get to go first. <sighs> okay. Um, well, my first instinct is definitely wrong, even though it was a huge single. Uh, you know what song gets a lot of play though, and I don't understand how this is a radio hit because honestly, I don't think the song has aged very well. Uh, is black. Uh, although it does have that sing-along chorus, uh, it's still kind of a downer of a song. Although I guess Jeremy is too. So what do I know? Uh, let's do even flow. <laughs> even flow. Okay. Okay. I'll go with alive. Okay. Let's look at Pearl Jam, aka Mookie Blaylock, aka. Most of Green River. Uh, oh, boy. One of us nailed it. Hmm. Guess who it is? I don't know. <laughs> it's you, buddy. Number oh. one, alive. No shit. Yeah, number two is black. I was close there, but I picked number three, which is even flow. And then Jeremy. The top four are all from their, their first record. And then from there, it goes to the cover of Last Kiss, which was... I, I, you know, I, I could spend a half hour talking about how bad that that cover is, uh, but a much, but much better song is number six, which is Yellow Lead Better. Then it goes to Just Breathe from their Backspacer album, then to Daughter, then to Better Man, and then to uh, Sirens from the last album, Lightning Bolt. Congratulations, everybody! You've made it to the end of uh, this Ringing Ear episode. But don't worry, there we have thirty more of these that <laughs> came before this one, so check them out. <laughs> Please make sure and follow us on uh, social media. We are on Instagram and Twitter at The Ringing Ear. We're on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash The Ringing Ear. You can find me at Jeff Nail, N-A-L-E, on Twitter. And uh, you can find Joby pretty much everywhere at Books of J-O-B-E. Don't forget to hear all of our stuff on killboringmusic.com. That's album reviews, Spotify playlists for each episode, uh, all that stuff at killboringmusic.com, your ally in the crusade against boring music. Our episodes are produced by Jeff Nail and Ken Joby, and our intro music is uh, Set Guitars to Kill by And So I Watch You From Afar. Please, uh, especially if you're in England, uh, they just released some tour dates for the, for the UK. Check them out at ASIWYFA.com. Joby, got an assignment for me? I, I do. Um, you could actually call them a super group. Uh, well, people do. I don't know if I would, but people do. Oh, uh, I was it, actually meaning to check this out. I, I bet I can guess. Is yeah, it Boy Genius? Uh, it sure is. So yeah, go ahead and listen to uh, Boy Genius, and uh, we'll we'll see cool. what you think. I I wasn't sure if I wanted to give you another softball one if I won again, but uh, considering you know we talked about the whole uh, thing with female artists, I figured, well, why not? Yeah, let's do it. Let's Lucy Dacus in the mix there. So that's cool. Yep. So. And let's see. So now, where are we at? Unsigned artists. Unsigned artists. Don't forget you can submit your music at killboringmusic.com to be featured in our Unsigned Artist Spotlight, uh, which we're doing right now. Joby, who's in it this week? This week, we have New York City's Jeff Baker. 
And Jeff has a... You you should say, I think he likes to go by Jeff Baker Sounds. Oh, Jeff Baker Sounds. Oh, okay. I believe that's the... Yeah, I believe that's the stage moniker. I see. Jeff Baker Sounds. Uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff Baker Sounds is a guy from New York who sounds like... A lot Everybody of else. other stuff. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I don't know what to say about it. It's, I guess, it's not bad for what it is. It's not. That's great. actually true. There's, there's no reason in in the imaginable universe where this couldn't become a huge hit. Yeah, yeah. To be I, honest, my honestly, the only reason I can think of why it wouldn't uh, blow up is. I think Jeff Baker sounds is not a real catchy name. (laughs) Even if it sounds like a, uh, it sounds like a country trio or something. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, even if this guy is doing this all himself, he he ought to just name it something, you know, give it a name. Yeah. Yeah. Naming it himself. It's perfect. Uh, This this is perfect for a mall setting. Yeah. Which is kind of the most backhanded compliment I can give, but I'm giving it. (laughs) Hey, it sounds like an ad where teenage girls are smiling. Right. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. It's, uh, everyone's so damn happy to be eating fucking Big Macs. Or it's something. like an ad for uh, for like an antidepressant or something. Oh, that's a good call. Yeah. 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 Lun- or Lunesta. Yeah. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not for me. But yeah, like you said, for what it is, it's fine. Yeah. And the song we're featuring is called Pretty Dangerous. Is that right? And it is not dangerous. Is there anything sounding. less dangerous than this? No. <laughs> it sounds like a it sounds like a puppy dog's ball sack. It's just it could never hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really sure where that came from. Can I, can I go back? Can I do that again? <laughs> well, I guess, but I really have some follow-up questions to that. I mean <laughs> I just I just thought, what's the most uh, non-threatening thing I can think of? What's soft? <laughs> Well, I guess we should uh, get this Jeff Baker sounds going. I do want to say, though, I, I feel like we've been too easy on him. I really don't like this. <laughs> but, but, but like you said, like you said, it's it's pretty well done for what it is. I just think the thing that it is is terrible, uh, which is which is, a you know, sort of uninspired and overproduced. Well, you know, with any with any luck, if if he ever hears this, he will handle it with as much grace and charm as uh, he should. If I mean, if he's listened to any other episodes of the show, he'll know this is actually, you know, not not that bad. Uh, but, you know, we're we're being pretty kind, honestly. Yeah, I don't think Jeff Baker cares about what two middle aged assholes in their in their houses, respective houses, who love the drum tone of Seasons from the Abyss, think about his track. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, like, honestly, take it with a grain of salt, Jeff. Yeah, really. So, playing us out here is "Pretty Dangerous" by Jeff Baker Sounds. So, this is Joby, and this is Jeff. We are reminding you to please keep fighting the good fight, reject the rudimentary, attempt to slay the simple, and please try to murder the mundane. <laughs> but for the <laughs> love of God, whatever you do, kill the boring and. Be sure to keep your ears ringing. I can't believe all the things that you say to me day after day with the way that you treated me. I can't believe all the things that you say to me day after day with the way that you treated me. Oh, oh, oh.
Tonight 